All right, we're in a series, and uh, I'm excited about this series. Uh, This series is called Church Detox, and part of this series for us has been because we want to visit, revisit some things that we pick up along the way. Um, Many of you take out the trash every week at your home. Hopefully you do. Um, I don't know if you do, but hopefully you do. Uh, And you rid your house of certain things that just don't belong. Uh, The problem a lot of times in church culture, especially where tradition is very heavy, we could find ourselves going through tradition and tradition and and carrying a bag of things that just don't belong anymore. You see, tradition's not bad, but when tradition doesn't point to truth and doesn't remind us of truth, it's just tradition, and we get no heavenly points uh, for just doing tradition. Now, part of the, the reason we're going to teach this, this series is we want to change the way you think, uh, a challenge to what you're, you're thinking about as it relates to the church, because some of the things we think don't belong. And I think it's important for us uh, to spend time doing that. Now, I know last week I kind of laid it on heavy. You are the members of the church. You are the church. How many of you struggled this week and said, I'm going to go to church this week? Anybody do that? Mess up? I did. All you guys are so good. And, and we don't go to church. We gather as a church. But part of this is we want to challenge the way you think. But one of the things we want to make sure you don't feel is you can't perform for God. You can't perform for God. Christ came. He died on the cross so that we don't perform for God. But when he gave us that gift of his son, we, be, we were made holy in his eyes. It is now our responsibility to live like holy, forgiven people, not to earn that forgiveness or that holiness. And so part of our conversation in detox is to rid ourselves of kind of these toxins that we've had. Now, part of detox really is removing, restoring, and returning, removing the things that don't belong, getting rid of those things. It's restoring the things that do belong, And returning back to a practice, and we probably should do this every so often as the church, to be reminded that things in our church sometimes we deem as very important and critical are nowhere to be found in the Bible as far as a definition for what the body of Christ looks like. And so because of that, we want to return to that and kind of do our own church detox. Now, uh, detoxification, uh, as, as it's kind of stated, is the process, real or perceived, of removing toxins from the body. So we're, we're in that removal status. Now Chuck Colson talks about this. Uh, he passed away some time ago and he, uh, I love his phrase, I don't think the job of the church is to make people happy. I think it's to make them holy. And I think that's an interesting quote for us to kind of just sit in, especially in this series, but us to be reminded our job isn't to entertain a bunch of people that gather and call themselves Christians. Our job is to continually understand the holiness that Christ offers and to live out that holiness, to live that out in the church. And so that's why we've been in this series. That's a little bit of the framework, a little bit of the review. Last week, again, if you, if, if you know Jesus Christ, you are a part of the body. You're either a functioning part of the body, a sick part of the body, or a paralyzed part of the body. And remember last week I said I really want to bring up a mannequin and cut it up in pieces and put it in a box, as distorted as that is. 
And I think because it's a reminder of a lot of what people operate today in the local church as a gathering. They're just a bunch of parts sitting in a box once a week. The body of Christ is this, this network of men and women and, and people that have been chosen by God and filled with the Spirit of God that begin to equip one another and encourage one another. So let's dive in. Let's answer this question, who leads the church? That's our next question. Uh, we found out who is the church. That's you and I. Who leads the church? Well, just newsflash, it's not me. You may think I spend all week trying to figure out how to lead the church. I don't. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this. Leadership history. History of leadership throughout Scripture gives us uh, ways that God began to lead his people. Uh, early in Genesis, you're going to find uh, that God begins to speak to some and he starts to institute some level of worship and sacrifice to his name. And you'll start to see kings and priests uh, pretty, pretty early, obviously, in, in, the, in Genesis, start to uh, be lifted up as those that God's chosen for some level of leadership. So in the first part of this, in Old Testament, priests, prophets, and kings are these offices that God appoints. Now, First and Second Kings talk about kings that were evil and kings, some of them that were good. What you'll find, the more you read all throughout the scripture, is that God has appointed those over us. In fact, in First Peter, we talked about it last year. It says, even those that treat you wrongly, unjustly. Remember Peter talks about honor even Caesar. Caesar's burning Christians. He's, he's, he's killing Christians in stadiums. And yet Peter is saying, your role is to honor the leaders above you. That's important because you have to recognize the attitude or the framework that was visualized and understood throughout the Old Testament is that God had allowed and appointed leaders. Even when they were in sin and evil and allowed them to be there. Now, just for the record, even the ones we elevate, even the leaders that we elevated throughout Scripture, priests, prophets, or kings, all were flawed. If you look deep enough into any of their lives, and that's this interesting narrative of the Old Testament, we see the scars and the flaws and the underbelly of even those who were called righteous. That God made us just understand, hey, no one's perfect, and they all fall short. In some ways, that's comforting, but the perspective is, is that in, through leadership history throughout the Bible, priests, prophets, and kings, you could add another one in there, judges, were given as kind of the the offices to guide the people. So towards the end of the Old Testament, we see more of a formalized uh, uh, Jewish culture that begins to, to wrap itself around the laws, around uh, people following those laws, and a separate group of people like lawyers or a, a judicial system around religious law. And so even in Genesis... Uh, in Genesis, you see that even pagan cults, I think the Midianites and in Moab, they would choose elders of their villages. They would choose elders of their villages to become kind of those that would sit on these councils for religious law. The Jews end up doing this later on. Now, what's interesting in our culture today is we don't 
we have it flipped, don't we? We don't honor those that are older, which is not very good about our culture. Back then, if you grew older, you were valued much more. There was more value the older you got because there were more years and more experience and there was just an understanding of the wisdom that you had gained. And so they would pick and choose what they would call elders, obviously to the term, the older ones of the village or the city. Now, this transition, though, into the New Testament is very common, is that the New Testament church is trying to understand how it functions. If you look at Acts chapter 3, you find as, the, as Pentecost unfolds, there's not, a, there's not an instruction book. God did not leave this great instruction book in saying, thou shalt build buildings for churches and logos and all these things, and you, here's how you start church. They basically begin to pray, and they're experiencing church. They, they don't quite understand how it's supposed to be run. And so what they're doing is they're pulling from traditions in the past. They start to pull, and that's part of what Paul's talking about. They don't know where, where does circumcision fall? Where, does, where do priests fall? Where, where does giving fall? All these are traditions they're trying to pull from Old Testament to New, and they, they don't quite know one of those is they pull the term elder. Ah, there should be appointed leaders to help guide this early church, this new church. And so it's the term that they start to use uh, throughout in the beginning stages of the church. Now, the three Greek terms, it's important for us to note, surprisingly enough, elder is actually not the most common term for even though we call them elders, uh, there's a different term that's more commonly used. And the term elders comes from the word presbyter, uh, presbytos, or however you want to pronounce that. It's where we get the word presbytery. And so that's only used a few times by Paul about the office of elders. The word that's most commonly used is this word, and it's uh, episkopos, and it's referring to bishops and overseers, or shepherds and pastors. Now again, this morning, I, I want to create clarity of who leads the church. We're going to get there. But this backdrop's really important, is that this idea of bishops and overseers are those who are chosen, who were older in years, but had the ability to oversee a body of believers, of functioning believers in a city. The other term that gets used a little bit in church leadership in the New Testament, obviously in the church, is this word deacon. And deacons were basically a next tier underneath serving with the elder board or an elders, and they were ones who were administrating the, the ministry. The ministry got overwhelming about the distribution of food to widows and the poor, and so they said, let's bring on deacons, same qualifications, nearly identical, but they were going to more administrate. Now, I think those are important for us to just grasp a hold of, okay? That there was a way that God led in the Old Testament through offices. New Testament, God selects a new set of offices, and I want you to see how the church is led now in the New Testament. Um, before we do that, though, I'm going to show you what uh, this website I found. I love this. It said, how do we start a church uh, today in America? How are you supposed to start a church? And so this website offered this brilliant help on how you make yourself a church. Uh, select a church name, establish a P.O. box, incorporate the church, get a federal tax ID number. Anybody know why that's important? 
Because when you donate to the church, you give, you get a tax benefit. Can I just push pause here for a moment? Nowhere in the Bible and throughout almost all of history is that a benefit. It's an amazing benefit we get in our government in this period of time, and quite frankly, we might lose that uh, in, in our lifetime. But nowhere is that a part of it. Now, that's not guilt because we do get that. I get that benefit. But I want you to hear is that's an interesting Americanized thought about church and church culture. Uh, you're supposed to develop bylaws, establish a checking account, 501c3 status, minister ordination and pay issues, obtain state sales tax exemption. Can I tell you, none of these are in your Bible, not one. Yet, what you'll find often is churches getting off-center and finding that that's driving the church. That list tends to be driving the church. You could put probably a list of how to, how to run a corporation and put a whole list of things on there that the church now can look to and see as wisdom. There are a lot of wisdom things, and we're to honor the government and, and the laws put before us, but that's not the church. Here is just quickly some basics to the church in the New Testament. Number one, he chooses you. God, for some strange reason, not because I make it very clear or because you wanted to find God, God allows himself to be revealed to you. Hopefully somewhere in your spiritual story that God revealed himself to you. And you just knew, whether it was a verse, whether it was a prayer, whether it was an event, whether it was a conversation, whether it was in the, in the wilderness, you just knew God is who he says he is. And he revealed himself to you. And he says he chose you before the foundation of the world. As Bobby's saying this morning, he calls us by name. And he called you to the cross. The second part of that, though, is that you are now a part of one spirit. We're a part of one body. And it says there in the third part that we receive this Holy Spirit in our lives as a deposit. And we are empowered as the body of Christ. That is it. That's the church. And so when you leave this place and you gather in homes in smaller clusters and you, you are the church. You are never not the church. You are the church. There's no tax benefit. There's no logo. There's no building. Very interesting about those two lists. So let's now dive in. If we were to look at how is the church led? The church is led really Obviously, we're going to say this, and you've heard it, it's led by Christ. But I want to break this down a little bit and give you a little bit of perspective. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Colossians 1 talks about Christ being the the all-powerful one, the Son of God, the one that reigns, and he is the head. Now, just for a moment, my brother and I, Growing up in California, and we used to go to the desert all the time to motorcycle ride, we used to catch rattlesnakes. And the way we used to do it is, one, and usually my, young, my brother is younger for me, I would have him do it. You get in front of the snake, I'll stand behind it. And I love my brother. Um, so he would get in front of it, kind of doing you know, the snake dance or whatever it is, and 
I get behind it with a stick that was forked and go right behind its neck, right behind its, um, I'm sorry, right behind its head on its neck, and you'd get it to the ground and you'd get a knife and you cut the head off. Why? Because you cut the head off, you're done. Now you had to bury the head and there was this whole thing, dogs digging those up and getting bit. But you cut the head off of any organization, you, it's gone. How many of you have been on a support line for a retailer or in a store and saying, I want to talk to the manager? Anybody done that? I'm sure you did it in very Christian ways, right? <laughs> um, I recently was on a support line for a long time to be sent to the expert, and I found myself on a world tour. I was in India and at some support center in India. Um, for a heating unit that's built in the United States. Don't, don't get it, but it was there. I kept trying to go up the food chain. Why? Because I wanted to find who was the head of this organization that made this decision. Who made this call? Who allows for this kind of behavior for this to happen? The beautiful part of the body of Christ is if you march up the food chain on things that you like or don't like and want to find out who's in charge, the Bible says that as we are the body of Christ, our head, our CEO, is Christ. Now that's kind of convenient, isn't it? So we could just say, I don't know, it's Jesus' fault. We're just, we're just following what he said. Well, no, what does it ask and, and what does it demand us, imply that we do? Number one, that we as the body of Christ know Jesus. We know him. And that we are obedient to how he's called us to live. And so what you see is Christ leads the church and he is the head and he is the one that we look to for answers. If I'm in a business, well, I might be the CEO or the president or the owner. I might be the top and it ends with me and it doesn't even matter What's rational or not, it's because I own it. I am the head. I am the one that is the source of beginning and end for all of it if I'm a business owner, right? There may be rules out there or kind of statistics. It doesn't matter. There are owners that lead that way, that I can just do it the way I want to do it. In the church, the beauty is we look to Christ. It takes a lot of away from this role, I'm not a CEO. The buck doesn't stop with me. It stops with us pursuing Christ and seeking out. You can see why teaching becomes such a powerful part of the body of Christ because we want to know what the head is calling us to be. We want to know what the head is asking us to look like, to live like. Christ is the head of the church. It's something we say very, very quickly, but it's something that's profoundly different than any other organization. The second level, though, is, and this is powerful, is that God appoints, affirms leaders. He did it all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Acts 20, verse 28 says, keep watch. This is, um, this is Luke talking, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the elders or the shepherd leaders, the overseers of the church. Who's picked them? The Holy Spirit. 
Now wait a second. Christ is the head of the church and the Holy Spirit picked him. That's different. There wasn't a large donation and so now I'm a part of this board. It's not a popularity contest and a, a, a political campaign of representation. It's Holy Spirit appointed. It's why when we say we want an elder nomination, that it's not a campaign for who's popular or let's have balanced representation because church, we are not a government. We are not a business. We are the church. The head is Christ. And what we're to do is affirm those godly leaders that are living out the gospel as Scripture calls. We're going to get to those qualifications in a minute, but it says that the Holy Spirit, and we're looking for the Holy Spirit's affirmation of who's there. It says, be shepherds of the church of which he bought with his blood. I, that, that Super Bowl ring I have does not a lot of good. It sits in a safe. It's like good for one message or two, but I have lent it out, believe it or not. And um, I've lent it out for a couple people, and I can, when they bring it back, they go, oh man, good, I can't wait to get rid of this. Because they go, the weight of me having this is too heavy. I, I don't want this. Be shepherds of the church of God, and he throws us in, which he bought with his own blood. Talk about a weight. Holy Spirit appointed and responsible for the bride that was purchased by the blood of Christ. Here's the third level is the deacons. This is a group that's then assembled uh, in and with the, these elders and overseers. And Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to call God's holy people to Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Often you're going to read this, and this is this group that serves now all the roles of the church, I want you to know, have a very critical servant role. We think of structures like hierarchy as top-down. If you could flip that upside down, and I know that's kind of a nice way of saying servant leadership, but it really is true. The term actually means things like minister are like waiter. Someone who puts a towel around their, their arm and would wash feet. And that's why that symbol of washing feet, it's servants. It's equipped. Equippers of the faith, equipping other people. And so we have Christ, we have elders, we have deacons, and then we have the rest of the members of the body of Christ. Now just for some perspective here, at our church, at Green Bay Community Church, uh, I'm seen as a lead pastor, and I want you to know, I'm, I'm going to rally to change that name, because I don't, I don't think that's reflective of a biblical perspective. I am an elder pastor that has gifts. I think more of a pastor of teaching and vision. But we have Christ as the head of this church, and we meet as an elder board once a month. And I would say our strategic team that is a kind of a paid leadership group is, is a smaller group of us, kind of operate like elders but aren't formally elders. There's a couple of us that are, uh, Pete App and myself. But we feel the weight how are we overseeing? How are we being shepherds of this flock? We have the rest of our staff, and I would probably call them like deacons. 
They're the ones that are really administrating and getting much of the work done. And some of you even as leaders, you may not be on a, on a paid staff, but you really are functioning as deacons. And so just for church leadership, we don't answer to uh, a high priest somewhere. Our head is Jesus Christ. We search and, and, and through prayer, through reading, through discussion with godly leaders, what is it that God's called us to be? as the body of Christ. That's how our church functions. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of perspective of what they're doing. I mean, look at this list. What are elders and overseers to be doing? And I know there's elders in the room, and so they, they'll feel the weight, believe me. Uh, it says, what are they doing? They're praying and studying scripture, or should be, leading the church, managing the church, caring for people in the church, give account to God for the church. Can we just stop there? It's so easy in a corporation, a business, a government situation to what? Let's point to the leader, the head. Let's complain about it or let's get it changed. They're, they're, they're not performing. Friends, in the body of Christ, you don't have to do that. In fact, if anything, you should be praying for them. Even if they're making, especially if they're making mistakes. Oh, I'm praying for them because they don't have to see me. They have to see the man. They're carrying a weight of having to, to, to give an account to God. Often, I think, sometimes my passion or boldness is mistaken for arrogance. And I, I want to say that because it, it is not that for me. I don't, my interesting journey here, and if you don't know the story, ask somebody who was here, I didn't get this role. I applied for it. I interviewed for it. I didn't get it. I love that part of my story. You know why? Because I feel appointed by the Spirit himself. Because of that, I don't feel like I have to answer to you. I have to answer to him. And that allows me to live my life a little bit differently. Not in coming at you, because I love our church. I love you. But I feel a weight all the time. Our elders feel a weight all the time. Our strategic team, our staff, many of you leaders feel a weight because we have to give account to how we fulfilled our ministry in the midst of the body of Christ. I feel that. It says, so, uh, giving account to God, living exemplary lives, rightly using or rightly use the authority God-given uh, to them, teach the Bible correctly, preach, pray for the sick, teach sound doctrine, refute false teachings. Do you know that in the Bible? It says that the church called out people who were saying they were Christ followers and living in sin. Like some of you are going, whoa, I'm out. That was the early church. And, and to talk about that today is, is foreign for people. Like how, how can they do that? That's what they did. It requires that you would know. It requires that you were bold. Now, not coming out of uh, hate or trying to embarrass somebody, but out of love to restore. What else does it say? It says, work hard, rightly use money and power, protect the church from false teachers, discipline unrepentant Christians. There it is again. Obey local, state, and federal laws. Develop their leaders and teachers. It's a pretty weighty role. Christ is the head of the church, and these elder overseers, pastors, shepherds, 
are to answer to God for their leadership of the body of Christ. It's both amazing, it's both weighty. How should this change our attitude then? If, if, if you're not an elder, overseer, pastor, playing a leadership role in the church, that doesn't get you off the hook because you all are a body, part of the body of Christ, right? You have some function. You're hopefully, you're do, you're, you do something. There's some function that you have. But you may not hold one of these offices. How should it change our attitude? Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. All those who will have to, they, they, these as those who will have to give account, let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Just a couple, third, uh, couple words. First, submission. It's not really a nice word today. It's a word, when someone says submit, this, that feels domineering. It feels uh, like I'm, I'm not being, I'm being forced to do something I don't want to do. Actually, the word here is willful yielding. It's saying, even though I might disagree with you because you've been picked by God, and even if you are someone I can't follow or I don't like to follow, I'm going to yield to your leadership as God appointed, and I know who you will have to be accountable to. Friends, I have had to follow a couple leaders in my church history past that I felt uh, were ungodly leaders. I really did. There were, uh, and and Trish and I have ha- we had to go to counseling after a lot of we felt abused in some ways. But I have always believed, as David would say, you do not mess with God's anointed. You do not mess with someone that God appoints. However, you agree or disagree, this is not government, politics, business. If God puts him there, First Peter says, you honor them. You probably should start praying for them because if you're right and they're not living the lives they should and they're, they're leading out of a, a sick, dark place, they'll be held accountable. Submit to them, it says. Get this y- y- uh, willful yielding. It says keeping watch. It's because they are keeping watch. Pray for them. Listen, they're not perfect. I am so far from Perfect. I keep trying to tell you that, and I know you get to see polished, dressed Troy, took a shower, shaved, you know, got ready for a message. I live as flawed of life as you do and struggle with my own faith and question things about my own life and still fight the flesh. And so when appointed and when we have leaders in front of us that are given this role, they're not perfect people. Pray for them because they're keeping watch. They're trying to keep watch over a church so that it doesn't go awry and there's not divisions amongst the body. And we read all the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament about the early church and all the things that are there. It says they're keeping watch over your souls. It doesn't make them better than you. It just means they carry a heavy weight. It says, because they're going to have to give an account. Now, we were talking about this the other day. I, I'm actually excited about this. This may sound, it's, it's, again, it's, it's not a pride statement. I want to please God. 
I know I don't have to earn my place with God. I am a son, one of his sons. I'm, I am, as he says, a royal priesthood, chosen. I'm, I'm loved by him. None of that changes. But as Paul says in his language, I love that term because I was in the military, how I want to please the commander, the one I'm serving. I'm serving him. And I want him to be proud. I want him to say, well done. I know I'm not perfect. And I want to give an account and go, ah, I tried to get, I gave everything I had. That's what drives me. Not for bigger numbers, not for bigger budgets, not for bigger buildings, not for more popularity. I want to give an account. It says, you did what you could do. And it says, do all this with joy and not with groaning. I love this, this quote. It says, joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. If anything was be a litmus test of health of a church, baptisms would be one. But you know what would be another? Is the joy. Yeah, we have an elder board and we have leaders that, man, they're doing their best and they, there's a great joy because we trust who's in charge. We trust them. 1 Peter uh, 5, 1 through 7 uh, is a passage I just challenge you to, to, to look at later. But it's going to say to humble ourselves at the mighty hand of God because he has chosen to orchestrate and to lead the church this way. He's chosen to make Christ the head of the church. He's the top dog. He's the one. He's the one we look to. It's where it ends. But he does that now leading through a group of overseers, elders. So what are just some, some detox things to think about? First, church is not a democracy. Church is not a voting democracy, and it's not like, let's get popularity contests, because truth be told, much in the Scripture, if the church was to vote on things, they would have messed themselves up. It needed a godly man or woman to come in and say, no, this is not what God wants. It's not a democracy. It's the church, it's leaders that are chosen by God, called to lead the church. You may not agree with some decisions in the church, and that's okay. And you probably need to make those things known in a way of love. But really, our goal is not to make everyone happy, but to lead. We may let someone go on staff. Why? Because the call of, of what it means to be on our staff is like a deacon or an overseer. The qualifications can't just be to do your job. That's business. We want everyone that's a part of our church and leadership to exemplify the qualifications of being a servant of the living God, submitting and surrendering their life to Christ in character and in their lifestyle, and that they treat others with that same love. Last for us comes their job description. Those are the first two prequels. Next is the church is not led by pastors. Pastors were shepherds. It's, it's led by Christ. It's led by Christ who begins to select a group, a plurality of. There's no such thing as senior pastor in the Bible. No such thing as lead pastor in the Bible. It's not there. There wasn't one in charge. And honestly, if truth be told, my belief is that it destroys people. This role will destroy me if I'm the only guy. Because I'll start believing things about myself that aren't true. Like, I'm the reason why there's more people here. 
like I'm the reason that we're doing better. You see how quickly that can start to seep in? You might believe it. It's why a lot of churches in America today have icons and one person. And I want no part of that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying I don't want any part of that. I want to share the weight. Last two, and then we're, we'll be done. Uh, church is not a corporation. We're not a business. The church is led and guided by the Spirit. That means we're going to have to make some decisions. There's things that we do here with employment and buildings and budgets and finance. We're to honor those roles that we have in the church, but we're not a business. And so sometimes we're going to do things that may feel a little bit businessy, but I want you to hear very clearly, we're not a business. We won't operate around those principles. Our center is Christ. One of the classics is, is typically someone saying, is the ministry paying for itself? A lot of decisions in church today are made about, hey, does it, does it bring some income in and pay for itself? Friends, that's never in the Bible. It may be give it all away. It may make no financial sense in a business culture. Give it all away. God doesn't operate with the corporation rules. Last is church is not a government. Church submits to its leaders and honors its leaders. Man, government sometimes just makes me sick to my stomach the process. We lobby, we get ready for an election, people are angry at the sides, they pick, we complain about how bad they're doing, and then we do it all over again. Talk about a cycle of insanity. I love the church because it's not a government. It's not about a popularity contest. God may affirm and anoint leaders in front of you that you never thought should be there but he picks them. Uh, What's the word this morning for us to respond to? Trust. Trust God as Christ leads the church. Trust his appointment of leaders that stand before you to try to shoulder the weight of the church. I want want every elder to stand up, um, if they would at first. All the elders stand up that are uh, out there. Now, don't clap or anything because they don't even know I'm doing this. Take out your wallets and... No, I'm totally, totally joking. <laughs> Scripture talks about the laying on the hands that the early church would pray for them because they understand the weight. Uh, I, I want them to stay standing. And uh, how about uh, staff members? Any staff members in the room? Danny, you're there. Stand up. Pete, you're in the back. Come forward. You're, you're, you're an elder too. Uh, there's a staff that's trying to operate as deacons. They need your prayer because they shoulder a weight of responsibility. Now, what I want you to do is get out of your seat and if you could just lay hands on one of them. If you can't get close to them, that's fine, but would you just, I need some people to get around all those who are standing. I want to just live out this New Testament idea of laying on the hands uh, on the elders and the staff of the church which we call elders deacons or or overseers deacons. Father, as we extend our hands uh, in affirmation to who you've chosen, uh, God, we don't quite know why at times, but God, we know and trust your leadership through your son, Jesus Christ, and God, through these you've appointed. God, would you give them wisdom? Would you give them insight? Would you give them protection and purity? The list of all those things you expect from them, God, would you allow them to give a good account of their own lives and the lives that they oversee? And we pray for, uh, for great spiritual wisdom from them. 
We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to go to the cross, and I'm going to ask all those elders and staff, if you guys would go to the crosses, would you? Elders and staff, would you guys go to the crosses? And if you want to pray for them or have them pray for you, it says that they're to pray for the sick and to bring that insight for you. Would you just, I think we can drink that in this morning, that we have a God that's appointed our leadership, and we're not a club, and we're not an organization, we're not a government, we're not a corporation. We are the church. Father, as we go to the cross, as you call us to the cross, may we not forget that you did call us by name. And Father, you've called the leaders by name that lead before us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.